The opinions and views expressed as part of this podcast in no way represent those that are held by America Football Ireland or the Irish NFL show. As always, guys, this podcast is just a bit of crack, so please, no giving out. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Domestic Game where we bring you through the insights and stories around American football here in Ireland. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer, and I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. Well, 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 we're on week eight of the podcast. Rob, did you ever think it would last so long? Absolutely. With talent like us in American football, Ireland, how could it not? (laughs) Well, this is it and sport is going well across um, Ireland. We have the Olympics. We've won our gold and our bronze. Well, we have two bronzes, one gold. We're maybe on for another gold with Kelly Harrington. But I mean, uh, that all is easily topped by last week's uh, flag shield action. Yeah, frankly, Kelly, until American flag football is in the Olympics, I refuse to be watching it. <laughs> we're boycotting the Olympics. That's that's the next big stance now that we're going to take here on the domestic game. But yeah, like as you were saying there, Kelly, uh, the Shield tournament came to its conclusion there on Saturday past, with some absolutely epic games taking place. You know, from the semi-finals where you had in the flag only conference, you had the Dublin Bay Raptors versus the Maynooth Hurricanes. And then on the other side of the draw, the Mullingar Minotaurs versus the Trinity College Dublin. The Raptors winning that game was a little bit of an upset, I felt. You know, I wouldn't have had them pegged to win against the Maynooth Hurricanes. And one of the kind of rumours that's going around about that team is that they're very good at perhaps po- poaching other teams' players. And just wondering, is, is that the case? No. Poaching is a very strong word to use here, Kelly. Um, and it wouldn't be one that I would use. I think they're just, you know, a good recruitment machine for players from other teams. Yeah, uh, and they're resourceful, I suppose. Yeah, let's look on the bright side. Resourceful. Around, you're based around that sort of South Dublin area. You know, you have a bit of crossover with teams. Uh, there's a couple of players who you know yourself you're going to recognise from, say, the South Dublin Panthers or um, even the likes of... UCD, that kind of catchment area. Teams that didn't make it through to the finals or who didn't even really participate in the uh, the Shield tournament. And a few of their players did end up playing for the Raptors. You know, we saw the likes of Sean Douglas, who would be traditionally a Raptor, who also plays for UCD. Ben Arulagon playing for the Raptors, who'd be traditionally a South Dublin Panther. And then even uh, throughout the year, we saw Michael Skies from UCD, also playing for the Raptors. Couple of crossover players, you know, I know some people weren't too happy, but like we said throughout the tournament, the Shield tournament was really just a sort of way of getting everyone back to play football. And it was really to, we weren't gonna really prevent anyone from taking part. And it was really just get out, get a bit of action and be a nice little precursor to the actual league season when that comes ahead where players will be locked into their specific teams at the start of the season. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point because we are competitive, which is great. Like, that is something that we never want to remove from the sport. But I think, like, the competitive juices are flowing and have risen and whatever. 
you know, and there might be some teams that would get annoyed over something like that. It's good to remember what the whole purpose of the Shield was, which is that, you know, we had no football for like nearly two years. So, you know, actually just getting back and playing at that point was such a big achievement. It was, though, I will admit, a complete like, you know, power play by the Raptors to bring in Ben when they knew that they were going to be playing against the Hurricanes. We all know that Ben was really just taken in to kind of lessen the threat of Alan Campbell from the Hurricanes, who we saw the previous week getting six touchdowns. That battle was an incredible one. I think Ben ended up getting at least two touch or two picks and possibly even a touchdown then when he moved on to offense. Um, he had a great day for the Panthers, or not for the Panthers, sorry, for the Raptors. Uh, to use, to, Freudian slip there. <laughs> too used to seeing him in the white and gold. Uh, yeah, out for the Panthers. Great performance from him. Uh, also, a really good return to form from Sean Douglas. You know, someone who we thought wasn't as jukey or as spinny as we have come to know and love him for. Really getting out there again, you know, pulling off the moves, getting into the end zone, really being an absolute nuisance for defences. Yeah. And then just for the, the Hurricanes themselves, like the Hurricanes rolled into town with a massive squad. Like they had, I think, an early enough to play a kitted game, like both sides of the ball. And just things just, they just didn't get going. Things just didn't get clicking. You know, much love for the Hurricanes and everything they've done throughout the year. And they even beat the Panthers the previous weekend. But just just on the day, you know, throws were just going a little bit too long. Catches were being dropped. Little things that just weren't coming together. And like we said before in the previous episode, they were the team that had the second most points against them throughout the the regular Shield campaign. But they were still managing to score, you know, 30, 40 points a game. Today, they didn't get to that 30, 40 points. And as a result, they ended up conceding 34. They just didn't, they just didn't get going. And come the end of the day, they were unfortunate, but they missed out. Yeah, I know that they'll be disappointed by that because I know that they, they really have been so competitive all all year and definitely were aiming to be in that Shield final spot. But that's kind of the way the cookie crumbles, isn't it? Yeah, like it's unfortunate, but like looking forward, if they retain those numbers, um, you know, once the actual regular league season starts, I, I feel that they can push forward and keep pushing forward. And absolutely great bunch of lads, fair play to them, staying until the end and even referee in the final. You know, it was, I think, one of the most consistent refereeing sort of performances throughout the, the Shield campaign was having a four-man crew from the Hurricanes. Really took over, took control, so knowledgeable and actually so well respected by other teams, yeah. which I think is, is a very difficult thing to, to earn uh, as a referee. Yeah, tell me about it. But like they've done, they've done a great job throughout, and they're one of the teams that you can always rely on that they will, you know, volunteer and not just volunteer because no one else is, but volunteer because they want to actually make the games good and make sure that you know games aren't ruined by poor officiating. Yeah, and I think that that's a hallmark as well of like Joe Kinnan. He's just a, a a big kind of promoter of the sport. It's very sportsmanlike stuff from him always. And that kind of is the ethos that we see from the Hurricanes. And like that, they just want to see the, the sport grow. So they obviously want to be there in that final. If they're not there in that final, they're going to be helping out with the final. And it's just kind of, that's the type of sportsmanship that they have in that team. And it's something that uh, I think is so admirable. Yeah, no, like you cannot like hold anything really against them. Um, quick group lads like we were saying and then in the other semi-final 
So we had the Minotaurs versus Trinity. Now this was a game that I think everyone thought was going to be very, very interesting. We ourselves said beforehand that a lot of it could be decided by the performance of Ben Darling. Yeah. Who was not there on the day. No. <laughs> Massive loss for Trinity at the start. But they still rocked into town with some big numbers. I know the Minotaurs actually turned up with the most amount of players they've had all Shield season. And Trinity came out on top on the day. But I think the actual score at the end was not really reflective of the kind of performances that both teams gave. Um, We saw going into the game, Rory O'Dwyer of Trinity was absolutely pumped up again, you know. Winning rock, paper, scissors. That man was on fire. He loves that game. <laughs> He's so good at it. He just gets into the minds of his opponent. You know what I mean? But with Trinity themselves, you know, it was at times you could see the, the a bit more physicality coming through. You know, there was a couple of times where, even at the very beginning, <clears throat> where players after making a catch were almost running through contact and I could see the, the Minotaurs getting clearly frustrated by these calls not being made and it kind of felt then later on for them that some of these calls that weren't going against Trinity were the same calls that were going against them and you can understand how that kind of led to frustration among the Minotaurs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the Minotaurs sometimes don't do themselves any favours when it comes to the officiating, though, because um, they do get frustrated quite easily. Some of them, others are seem to be like impeccably patient, but um, they can get frustrated with the officiating quite easily. They can get you know a bit talkative towards the officials, having ref them myself, you know, and that you really have to as a ref kind of rise above that and kind of really put that into the background and just facilitate the game that is happening in front of you and really not try to have any type of mark on the game. I mean, the biggest compliment that a, an official can have after the game is if someone asks, oh, who, who was ref in that game? And, and people go, oh, I don't really remember who that was. Yeah. No, but like I, I actually got the opportunity to talk to a few of the Minotaur lads after the game. And it was a good opportunity just to, you know, to hear their concerns and hear how they were feeling. Um, I don't feel they felt like they were robbed on the day of the game, but they really did, you know, push the point that they're happy to go to these games, happy to play, but that the standard of officiating needs to be better. And I'll admit that, you know, there has been a times throughout the year where you've seen calls that weren't given, but like from a mile away, you would have been able to know that that was, you know, a foul this way or a foul that way. And it is something that the... Uh, the officiating and the director of the flag football really need to look into is actually establishing a proper refereeing course for flag football mm-hmm. and to make sure that you know games are ref to the highest standard to avoid any of these sort of issues players stepping up as well I mean like the thing is is I think the Minotaurs are in a good position to lodge those kind of complaints because they're also a team that puts a lot of effort into developing their player officials you know we'd often see QB Connor Brennan there and he has some fella younger than him that he's showing how to officiate the game properly and how to do it correctly they're they're actually willing to put in that type of time to bring up the standard of officiating so it also needs to be like a team-led efforts as well the day connor jack lynch the minotaurs in general managed to get nearly i think all their players to have refereed at one stage of the shield tournament and they're they're very good you know pushing their players forward i think it's just kind of the thing where they want the rest of the referees to be as 
of highest standard as they are at refereeing yeah. and if that standard's not up to you know what they what they perceive as their standard then they don't see it as acceptable which i think is a fair enough point i think it's fair as well yeah and like we were saying there not to give the minotaurs too much airtime and give trinity a bit more love the lack of ben darling so that first game it really didn't impact at all conor o'dwyer actually stepped in at quarterback for them had a good enough game you know put up 27 points uh, with them, helped guide them to the final. Uh, there was a few players you've seen there who were clearly, you know, contact players, but going off for contested catches. They had a new guy I haven't seen him too recently. He was wearing the number one for them. Uh, excellent, excellent hands on him, but like that, just more sort of suited to the, the kitted side of football as opposed to the flag element. Yeah, it doesn't always translate from kitted to flag. You know, it is its own sport and it does have its own set of skills. I mean, one of the biggest differences between kitted and flag is just how fast that sport goes um, and how it's so rare that a team wouldn't score. You can often get, let's say, a team like the Pirates, for example, who would be, no offence to the Pirates, a, you know, a lower level uh, team that would actually put up a score against a team like the Rebels. And we see that because that's just the way how, how flag goes. It's part of the sport. It's very high scoring, um, high powered offences um, in, in that sport. So it's a completely different type of playbook and it's a completely different um way of playing the game yeah like at times all you need is that one person who has got a bit of a burner on them and get the ball into their hands early and just let them run let them juke let them weave and you've got yourself six points so then after that we had the two finals now the two finals you know were were to be kind of expected if you were to listen to this podcast in the previous week i think they were two sort of favorite teams going into the weekend to make it true we had the Eagles against the Raptors in the flag-only side of the draw. Now, that was a very, very tight game. This was my first weekend actually getting to see the Eagles. And they're a very well-run team, very proficient in their offense, in their defense. You know, there is some sort of similarities we, we've said with the likes of the Minotaurs, where players are very good at trash talk. Trash talk and getting in opponents' heads. I think they're number one for the Eagles throughout the day. I don't know if that man ever took a breath. He was constantly <laughs> on it, but you could constantly see it was working. But this sort of, you know, trickle down throughout the rest of the team. So many players seeing this are also getting into the heads of other players against their opposing numbers. Really, you know, start in the chat, start in the chat, and the chat never stops. Like after 30, 40 minutes, it's getting hard to drown this out, you know, if they just keep, keep going. But fair play to the Raptors, you know, it was after coming from playing a game against the Hurricanes, you know, they got the one win. They pushed the Eagles to the very end. The scoreline, you know, finished there 18-14. It was a tough game. Yeah, Rob, couldn't agree more with any of that. Um, just... Folks, and then on the final scoreline, like, were you particularly surprised to see the Eagles come out on top of that game? Uh, I wasn't surprised to see the Eagles come out on top after, like, over two years undefeated. I think the Eagles losing would be more of a surprise than anything. 
Uh, but the way the, the Raptors managed to run them so close was actually a great, great, great thing. Yeah, so it's more like the the surprise on the day was probably the Raptors that really were able to elevate their game and really put it to the Eagles. I'm sure that the Eagles weren't sitting too comfortably during that game, given that the final score was, what, 14-18? No, I like the, the Eagles had a, a far larger squad than the Raptors. You know, as we've seen, the Raptors, a lot of their players, like we have said, are getting on in years. If the Raptors were able to maybe interject a couple of younger players into their team from the area, it really would help them, you know, continue the stability of the club and continue to grow it. I just wanted to even loop back to this theme of sportsmanship and a team that I think that have shown fantastic sportsmanship um, over the season, but particularly last Saturday, is the the Dublin Rebels. So, Rob, you're probably in a better position to to give insight onto that story. Um, yeah, no, like uh, as anyone saw there at the weekend, the, the Rebels were only able to turn up with six players just for uh, a COVID related issue. But fair play to them, like for still turning up on the day and not even just turn up on the day, for hosting the actual day. Whereas they managed to organize the venue, uh, get onto the venue to organize food for players and have just sort of the a bar and all there, which is a great sort of place to like host the game there at Delisle. Palmerstown FC. Yeah, so quite a depleted squad for the Rebels there on Saturday, which I know that they'll be disappointed by because we just don't know how far they would have gone otherwise. They're such a strong outfit kind of all season and all throughout this Shield tournament. Um, for me, one of the they are one of the biggest winners of the Shield tournament and of flag football because the Rebels, if we remember from 2019, are kind of coming off probably their worst season to date and they weren't looking too hot going into the 2020 season and then of course the COVID break and so for them to take this opportunity now in 2021 to field a flag football team and to get some really good competitive football and to get a lot of their young talented players up and kind of into um, the club and really getting that football experience get that competitive nature going it really has been such a benefit for them as a club I think that we will see hopefully the fruition of that um, this weekend because I know that they are due to play the Belfast Trojans they've stepped up in place of the South Dublin Panthers so that'll be interesting to see whereabouts the full contact um, kitted team of the Rebels is particularly given that they've done so well in this flag tournament we've obviously given um, a lot of love to the likes of Ty Henry and to Dave Sunshine 20 King but they have some other fantastic young players that have really stepped up and that I really think are going to be weapons hopefully um, that they will be part of the kitted team as well. For example, we have um, Rex Harding, who's already showing that he can be a legitimate number one corner. And I think that the intention for him is that he does become a kitted um a kitted player I think that um, they're excited from what I've heard from the Rebels they're excited for the defensive coordinator to kind of start coaching him and to bring him into into that um, scene as well and another player that we've been seeing all season um, do very well is Alan Dowdall who has already shown that he has burners and he's scored some really long um, beauties even in the flag he's done very very well um, Rory Harkin another boy arms wheels good hands um, they're calling him a Swiss knife Irish version of of uh, Taysom Hill and he can play um, on defense as well. Ben Crossan, another strong fast back with very good hands. And like that, this is all kind of coming coming through Andre um, 
Barlava, their head coach, who really just seems so committed to the individuals of the team. I want to give a shout out to a few of their rookies as well. Tiernan Butler um, is one of them. Greg Johnson is another one. Um, they're just really kind of leading the way. And it's very exciting if you are a Rebels, like full time um, kitted player. Let's say, you know, you have the likes of Conrad Cook, Dylan, Dylan Paisley, um, and them there, even Wello you know seeing these young talented rookies come through and even these young flag players come through into your team I think it really has been the saving of the Rebels team into the 2021 season I think it really is going to be what turns around what makes uh, what makes the distance for them between 2019 which was kind of an ugly stain on what is otherwise a very winning club um, to hopefully 2021-2022 where we see the kitted team do a lot better than what they had done um, in 2019. After that big uh, rant and and love shown towards the Rebels I'm wondering what did they actually have on you Kelly? <laughs> just, I don't know I don't know when I started to be such a Rebels fan to be honest. Absolute Rebels like, fan I'm here. just like Rebels till I die now. No but like like you said like the, the Rebels great throughout this entire campaign unfortunately they didn't have as many players as they would normally have at the weekend but still they really put it up to Trinity like if you're going to look at the score they still put up 18 points with six players Trinity you know managed to get the win uh, beating them by I'm going to say another eight points so like realistically there was only one score in that game a converted score that's going to overtime yeah I mean it's close it's hard to leave that it's hard if you were a team that you know that comes that close and you have a depleted squad it's so hard to leave that loss there because you just know that had you had your full outfit there that you would have done it would have been different they definitely feel that those medals should be around their neck if it it had been even a week earlier you know they would be saying you know the shield is coming back to the Dublin Rebels yeah yeah it's interesting well look at we'll still have the league I hope to see the Rebels in the league do you know if the Rebels are due to sign up for the flag league Uh, all will be revealed in a matter of time oh it's very secretive right now very very secretive but if they are then I think that they really are um, just a like a favourite to win it I wouldn't be surprised moving on to the finals Trinity and Eagles it was a hard fought game like if anyone's seen the game footage there on our Facebook page or even on our YouTube channel you will see that on the first three drives uh, there was three picks you know going into this game like we're we're bringing it back to the rock paper scissors here (laughs) Trinity lost the rock paper scissors at that point I was putting my money on the Eagles (laughs) You're like, you put the house, everything, the house, the car, the money on the Eagles. Going on the Eagles when I saw they won the rock, paper, scissors. You know, I think that's a, one of the cr- most crucial moments of the game is winning that little point. And, you know, you might think it's stupid, but it does. It gives your team such a momentum booster. Like we saw throughout, you know, whenever Trinity did win it, everyone was pumped. And just whenever they didn't win it, it was like the air had been let out of the tyres yeah yeah it didn't bode well for them um but still like a very very close game like I mean it was literally just two touchdowns against against nothing's finished 12 12 zero like so even watching the game back um we have it on our YouTube channel if anybody wants to check it out it's a very clean game of flag football like there really hasn't wasn't that many mistakes on either team but any mistake that was made as you said was punished like so 
like picks were were caught it kind of went over back over back you really even looking at the the video afterwards you wouldn't have known which team was ahead and which team wasn't I think those two scores came actually in in the second half of the yeah, game up until like at half time the score was there was no score you know which is very very surprising for not just both these teams but for flag football in general like these are two high profile high efficient offenses who do get scoring do get rolling however just on the day it was a defensive battle and the defenses in the first half really took control and were winning like and like i said going back then in the second half where the the eagles managed to get the two scores to basically to win the game 12 nothing it was one of those moments where it's like you still could see it going either way if Trinity had have just managed to get the ball downfield a bit more, you could easily have seen them getting the win. Uh, to the Edenary defense, they put up a great performance. Like I don't know how they managed to do it, but they were really just really proficient in just stopping players early, breaking down balls, getting up there, getting physical. Like I said getting in players heads Jordan Farrell the number one like I was talking about earlier the man did not take a breath all day he was constantly at it constantly giving chat and if you're a younger player with a little bit less experience that can really get to you and that can really start to bother you and I think that possibly that was sort of happening maybe for some of the Trinity players is like this constant yapping really got into their heads got into their psyche especially as the clocks were winding down and the score was still in the favour of the Eagles. You know, it's another medal going back to Eden Derry, another Shield tournament. They really are the flag football team everybody loves to hate at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> they are like the bad man of flag football. And I think it just, it does show their their class as well. Like for me, looking at that score, it, it seems to have been really a defensive game. Like the Eden Derry Eagles defensively um, is what won that game. And then offense just kind of put those scores on the board to just kind of solidify it. So, I mean, they've shown, they've shown why they're there. They've shown why they're winning. Um, they're just well-repped, clean team like just knows what they need to do knows when you should go for a flag instead of going for the pick which is a big thing in flag football if you go for the pick at the wrong time and you miss it then the player that you're supposed to be on or who's in your zone I mean like they have like four or five yards that they can they can run and get a bit of speed up so I found that those little mistakes those little kind of um ex- mistakes due to inexperience just aren't there for the the eagles they're just well wrapped well drilled they know what they have to do and i think that they really have shown themselves to be very deserving winners yeah like you said there about going for the flags before going for the ball you know it's not the instinctive reaction that most players would have but as we've seen at many point throughout this shield campaign by any sort of missed picks there's been players right behind you catching the ball and they're they're in the end zone. If if you make a play on the ball in flag and you miss that play on the ball, if it's caught, there is a strong chance that that player that makes the catch on offense is getting into the end zone. Yeah, I think it comes back to that conversation about the translatable skills from kitted football into flag football. And that's one of the ones that doesn't always translate. It's like, yes, if you can make a play on the ball and you make that play, that's amazing. You know, that that is great and like brilliant. You know, it's going to be something that everybody kind of uh, reacts it looks pretty, to. It looks pretty on camera. 
yeah it does and everyone's going to react on the sideline and everyone's going to go mad and it's going to be a big celebration but a lot of the time that can leave you exposed as well like I would say three two out of three times it's not going to go your way and just going for the flag is what you need to do unless you're on fourth down or in the end zone yeah it's going to be actually very interesting because I don't know if there is much game tape on the Eden Derry Eagles prior to this you know you have other teams where they've like a lot more footage up online but this is the first time where now people might actually be able to sit down and even dissect what they're seeing the Eagles do, what they're running, what way they're lining out, what way they're playing, which could be very interesting coming in. I know it's only, it's a very small sample size, but this small sample size could be what helps other teams actually get the sort of, you know, that one or two little extra points that might help turn that score from 12-0 against to 12-0 in favour. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think that's another good point because another thing that we, we're seeing the, the Eagles do is just run flag football the way fl- flag football is supposed to be run. So for example, when they were close to the, the end zone going to score, they were running end zone plays, which is usually like this bunched formation. We don't actually often see a lot of teams do these bunch formations as they get closer to the end zone. But there's a reason why it's done in flag. And we see the Eden Dairy Eagles, they're just so disciplined and that they're they're playing flag. That's the sport that they are playing. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things you know, the bunch formation at the goal line. It's also run usually very efficiently by the Minotaurs. Very difficult to defend. You know, you're trying to get in and defend against players maybe three yards out from the end zone. And by the time you nearly get onto a player to mark them, the quarterback has released. And he doesn't even have to do an overarm throw. I've seen many, many of a shovel pass you know, result in a touchdown because it's so much harder to nearly defend in that the ball is coming in low towards a player. He's getting it around his midriff and players are like, well, there's no point going for a flag if they're in the end zone because it's still going to be a touchdown. You're trying to get around a player to get your hand in the way of the ball. It's excellent, excellently executed by the Eagles. And it's something that, you know, I think that we can see more and more teams will possibly be doing come the actual shield or not the actual shield actual regular season games in these short plays in that you know when you're up at the end zone you don't have to be sending lads out to the corners you don't have to be doing some mad in out plays where you just have to maybe make those four five six yards simple enough bunch formation send three players running one way send another player running the opposite direction you've got acres of space we shove a pass six points and yeah like at the end of then just you know the, the Eagles bringing back like we said that shield to Eden Derry celebrating up in a De La Salle Palmerstown FC you know it was a great day I think everyone that was there really actually enjoyed it excellent venue like we said previously by the Rebels it's sort of thing that you know we'd actually love to get back into again and it's great that you know clubs are actually making these sort of facilities available for people where Hopefully, post-COVID, we're actually able to all sit out, have a drink together, have a burger, have a bit of barbecue, and not have to worry about sort of all this social distancing. And, you know, things can be just brought back to the way they should be. And that's the American Football Ireland community, where players get to actually engage with each other in a more sort of social aspect, as opposed to just trying to go head-to-head on the gridiron. 
Absolutely, Rob. So that brings us to the end of the Summer Shield tournament with the Eagles out on top. Very deserving winners and congratulations to those boys. So I wanted to move on then to the kitted football because last week we saw the end of week three of the Donaghy Group Cup and we're now moving towards week four, which is the final. And so that final is seeing the uh, Giants and the Razorbacks there playing for that third and fourth position and the Jets and the Vipers playing for first and second. So starting with the Jets and the Razorbacks game. So the Razorbacks obviously have had a very tough season this season. The first game they lost um, to the Giants without scoring on their offense. And the second game they were decimated by COVID and couldn't feel a team. So has been a bit difficult for them. So, you know, um, for me, I wasn't really expecting too much from them in this game. However, I do feel like that they have done a lot better than what they had done in previous games. They managed to score two touchdowns against the Jets. That game finished, um, I think it was 26-14. The Jets then as well showing their class. They were missing starting QB stop McLean. So, I mean, that would be um, quite a big loss. However, their backup, uh, Odron McCool, was able to step up and did very well Um, in that. I think that the standout player has to be um, Declan Curran for the Jets from that game who scored four touchdowns in one game um, all rushing and um, I think that I mean it's just a just a fantastic achievement really to score four touchdowns in, in any game really yeah, obviously incredible like, to, to be able to do that um, it's been fantastic sort of performance by the Jets all year and I think just this is kind of further solidifying their right to a place in the actual league itself yeah. and their position and then like obviously wanted to give a shout out then to the uh, O-line because I mean like we can say how great that running backs are all all day but if those gaps aren't coming then running backs aren't going anywhere at all and so I think there was something like 350 yards rushing total on the Jets um, offense there was no sacks so I mean the line men and women um, had their day so there's one woman there as well um, I'm gonna butcher this um this pronunciation so bear with me I think it's Isla Van Staden who played an absolute blinder and she has always done and it's great I think that's two women now in kitted football across American Football Ireland the other one being Chrissy McKee who is playing with the Belfast Knights and both seem to be getting on very well and what is amazing is both teams uh, find their women to be a real point of pride about their club I also believe though if I'm not mistaken the Dublin Rhinos had a female player playing a cornerback maybe two 2019? Yeah, they did. I don't know her name, but apparently she got on quite well as well. No, it's by no means the first um, female kitted player um, in our league um, that that we're seeing this year. I think I think 2019 was the was the first female player. So we're seeing it more and more. I mean, like I think credit to them. For me, it's never been something that I would be willing to try. I mean, kitted, yes, but like kitted against women. I don't I don't know how much I would want to play kitted against men and shoulder pads Kelly put them on you stick you in at a nose tackle that I I think we have to admire any woman that's going to go and as well they're not there just to take part I know Chrissy um, personally and she is like wants to be competitive wants to make her mark on this sport and is there to do that so I think credit to the women who are stepping up and you know kind of just getting fed up that we don't have a full female league and just kind of saying well fine we're going to play the men's game then yeah, no, like absolutely fair play to them. Like, can great to see it happening. Great to see them coming along, and actually just putting it up there to all the all the men in the league. 
So then the second game, the Vipers and the Giants game came out on top for the Vipers. Um, Rob, could you say that you would be surprised by that? At this stage, I think, you know, the Vipers have shown they're just a proficient outlet. You know, they've, I think this is them now undefeated in this Donaghy International Group Shield. Oh, it's not even a Shield tournament. That's my own league. <laughs> you know, I think it's clear that the Vipers have been very proficient in this Donaghy Group Invitational Cup. They've had some fantastic performances. They're now undefeated. Um, I really don't think going into any game uh, at the minute that you'd nearly back against them in, in this Dunhee Cup game. You Going in, we have the final weekend now, this weekend coming. Uh, I can see it being another Vipers victory. They've just been so well drilled, so proficient. You know, in pod we trust. In part we trust, yeah. I think if you were to go for anything else bar Vipers victory following what they've done so far this year, you know, it would be very difficult to to be able to say, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I feel that the Vipers are just kind of on an upward trajectory at this point. I mean, like they, they bet the Giants 37-12, so that's quite quite a convincing win there and the Giants are a good outfit like they they surprised me this season with how well they've been playing and just how much they've kind of come together because I would have said at the start of the season I wasn't too sure about them as a team or in cementing their position in the league but I think that they've really done that but for the Vipers then to beat them by that type of scoreline really just shows that everything that they're building and all of their belief that they can do it is really kind of building momentum in that club and they just feel like a team that has that momentum behind them and coming into the this final week four which isn't this week it's next week I feel like they are they're looking quite good for that Donaghy group invitational cup yeah like they've had a fantastic performance all year I know they didn't get their game against the Razorbacks but to be honest, I couldn't see the Razorbacks putting up any kind of a fight against what, what the Vipers have been rolling out with so far this year. Yeah, and I think even in that situation, the team kind of showed their class in that they still got on that bus. They still went as far as, um, where was it, Armoy? And was it Armoy? I think it was up to New Forge. I think it was New Forge, yeah. So the team, they still showed their class. They still got on that bus. They went together. They went as far as New Forge and went to see the other game and support the other um, teams, but probably also learn about the other teams, learn about what they're doing, like try and get as much kind of exposure to these teams as possible because they knew that they'd be playing one of them. So, um, you know, I think credit to the Vipers. I think it's been so professional from from the very get-go from them. Yeah, no, absolutely. But if I'm going to say the person who I'm really looking forward to seeing this in the finals is not actually anyone who plays. It's photographer Ian Humes. Yes. Ian Humes. If anyone has seen any of the photos he's taken throughout this Dunahee Invitational Cup, incredible. You know, if we're looking through the Causeway Giants, there was that dive and touchdown by their quarterback, you know, the number 16 who is also a left-handed quarterback. You know, that's not something that you see every day in the league. Diving for a pylon, you know, very Taylor Heineke-esque. And even Taylor himself liked the photo and threw a wee comment underneath. But my God, some of the some of the shots that he's got throughout these campaigns have been 
immense and I'm looking forward to actually seeing more of his photos yeah he's incredibly talented and the other thing then is that uh, when you're a sports photographer you have to be able to follow the plays and follow where the ball is going to actually understand American football you can't just get anybody to come along and to start taking photos do you know of American football players because where is the ball where is it likely to go do you know where there's Ma- trick plays Ma- there's whatever so Ma- he knows the right what he's looking all at the time. yeah exactly I think credit to him yeah, and then speaking of sports photography, I've literally just uploaded a picture of that Donaghy Group Cup onto our social media, um, onto like Instagram and all, and it is class. Yeah, I know, it is quite quite a pretty trophy. You know, I wouldn't say that it quite rivals the uh, Flag Summer Shield one, but you know, each to their own merit. Each to their own, yeah. But I mean, looking at it, you can see why these teams are competing so hard for this. Like, it's a trophy that you would want to win. Yeah, no, it's going to be a nice piece of silverware or glassware in this case for the trophy cabinet for either team that comes out on top. Okay, so looking ahead to this weekend, we have the return of Wolfhounds Kiddish Training. We also have the Rebels and the Trojans. So the Trojans were originally supposed to play the South Dublin Panthers. They can't field the team, unfortunately, and the Rebels are stepping up into that position. So I know we touched on that earlier in the show. Um, I think that that will be a very interesting one purely for the purpose of benchmarking the Rebels. Um, in the 2021 season um, just seeing how they are going to compete particularly because they had probably their worst season in 2019 it wouldn't really have been looking too good for them I don't feel into 2020 however this year we've seen their performances in the flag and they have been quite dominant in that area and so it will be interesting to see how they compete against the Belfast Trojans in a friendly somewhat non-competitive manner um, in, in this upcoming fixture yeah, no, it's going to be an absolute cracker. You know, as you were saying there, Kelly, the uh, Dublin Rebels are coming off, you know, not a really great campaign. However, in the meantime, some of those youth team players that they would have had back then have now become of age and will be fit to play in this game. It's really going to be quite the birth of fire for many of these younger players. We saw that the Trojans have already managed to give their younger guys a run out against the Craigavon Cowboys. They didn't manage to put up a score against the Cowboys, but it'll be more sort of like for like, I'd say, coming into the later quarters of this game here where you'll be able to see both sets of younger players going head to head against each other. Yeah, and even even I think that that's a good point because I think a lot of the Rebels team is going to be quite young and quite fresh and that they're really going to have to rely on those younger younger players coming up into this sport, whereas the Trojans, veteran-wise, are still a very strong team, that they really are a team of vets still. Um, also, I think... You know, anyone that was recruited in the 2020 season is still a rookie, even if they are in their their second their second year. This so we kind of have these two years of rookies coming together. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how how new versus old how that goes. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we're really looking forward to actually seeing how this game turns out. Not just the final score, but kind of each quarter and who's involved in each quarter. It's a real battle of the two cities in this island. Uh, who's going to come out on top? You know, it's really anyone's game. We're going to be looking forward to finding out. So, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of our episode. We've covered the uh, Flag Shield Tournament. We've also covered the Dunhee Group Cup from the previous week. We've looked ahead to the football that's happening this weekend, which is the return of the Wolfhounds training camps and the uh, that fixture between the Trojans and the Rebels in Dermore Park up in uh, Belfast. Uh, next week we'll be back again hopefully doing a deep dive of the Donaghy Group Cup which is due to happen that weekend Um, 
I think that's it from us for this week. For your hosts, Kelly Dwyer. And I'm Robbie Caldwell. We're signing off. Peace.